0: You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 podcast control room or room, whatever you want to call it now. This is the Colts Blue Zone podcast and we are at game week. The NFL's here. Week one, regular season. We've made it through the offseason, which seems to get more interesting by the year, which never really is truly out of our minds as we talk about so often on this show, but no need to kick the can down the road any further. As this week, the Colts take on the Seattle Seahawks in week one inside Lucas Oil Stadium, a one o'clock kickoff Sunday afternoon, which you can watch if you're in Central Indiana broadcast on Fox 59. We're excited to preview a game finally after a long offseason alongside Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell. I'm Dave Griffiths. First, we will start with the news around the team this week. Um, And guys, you got to start with the quarterback, Carson Wentz. He is going to on five and a half weeks or just after five weeks post-surgery and was a full participant in Wednesday's practice, says he's full go against the Seahawks. Chap, if there was a, a most important person to have on this culture roster ready for week one who got banged up or had some kind of crazy uh, news uh, happen to them during training camp, which there were loads of them. Uh, Carson Wentz was number one, as we would have all said in the offseason when we ranked him our most important colt. So it it appears that Wentz will be ready to play week one, six weeks post-surgery against the Seahawks.
1: Yeah, we talked to him today, and he said that, you know, the the final hurdle is the doctor saying he's okay. Well, uh, they're going to lock the doctors in a room if anyone has any hesitation. (laughs) Again, and go back to when this first happened. Remember the five to 12 weeks? Projection, which which sent a shudder through everybody. And we, we, again, listing the most indispensable players, it's always a quarterback, but more so because of the quarterbacks behind the quarterback. And th- this team's only going to go as far as Carson Wentz takes them. And we can argue that at some point how far that'll be. But if, if there had been a hiccup in, in, in his return, Jacob Eason. Is your quarterback, and he might one day be uh, a starting quarterback or a viable backup, but we don't think that's the time. This is the best case news because they're still not going to be at full strength. They're going to be without a couple of key players, but to have the quarterback ready to go, even with limited work, he's going to he will have had three practices this week, full practices, and one on the first day of camp. He will have had four. Full practices. Everything else has been, he was hurt the second day. Everything else has been limited. So this isn't ideal, but it beats the heck out of plan B.
0: Yeah, Joe, we would all rather have, any Colts fan would rather have Carson Wentz starting a quarterback this Sunday rather than Jacob Eason, I think, or at least 99.9% of them. Uh, we'll we'll. Leave a few
2: for, you can find a few on Twitter, probably. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I was gonna say. We we we'll leave room for a few Twitter outliers, which which are my just my favorite people in the world. But uh, I, w- expectations for Wentz week one against Seattle, like y- you can't go in thinking that that he's going to be gangbusters. If he is out there, then fantastic. But. I, I would definitely imagine that there's a hefty dose of Jonathan Taylor and the running backs in store to not just throw Wentz to the fire. In spite of like, obviously, he knows things similar are similar to his time in Philadelphia under Frank Reich. There are similarities, but there's different wording. There's different plays. It's not just the same thing. Then you just put a new bow on it, and you're you can go out there and 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 perform the same level that you were before. So, um, so I, I do think it's going to be not the most uh, innovative, uh, if that's the right word, I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but, but anyway, Joe, I, I just, I just think that we're going to see a lot of Jonathan Taylor. Ultimately, is, is the point that I'm trying to make.
2: Yeah, of course, the familiarity with Frank Wright helps the learning curve, but beyond that, he's also got to sync up with his wide receivers, which he has not had a lot of time to do. Um, I, I think Carson, I don't think Carson Wentz is going to go out there and fall flat on his face, and we can definitely. Uh, talk about what the Colts need to do to help protect Carson Wentz in uh, the game preview section. But I think expecting Carson Wentz to go out there and throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns, no picks, 70% completion rate week one, let alone week one where he barely had a training camp, um, is is definitely way too lofty. But still, it's got to be exciting to have this guy back. I mean, this is somebody that we've been just itching and itching and itching to get on the field. Uh, actually playing football, and ready or not, the time is coming.
0: The Colts have also added left tackle Eric Fisher to the active roster. He is off the NFL's COVID-19 list on Monday and was actually a limited participant in Wednesday's practice, which, chap, we've been out there for all of training camp out at Grand Park. He was never a quote-unquote practice participant. He We saw him there. He was kind of on to the side doing some of his own work, but he was never a practicer. He is there. He is practicing now which is what from January 20th or whenever that um, Achilles injury was, that is so seven months and two weeks, three weeks since his injury. And he's practicing on the football field again, which is absolutely remarkable. And uh, was not the timeline that, that we were thinking about in the off season. It was um, the optimistic timeline the Colts were hoping for, to be honest, but you just never know with these things. So this is just about the best news they could have had, that he is Eric Fisher, your left tackle. A guy you spent, what was his uh, signing? Was it $10 million for him and that was it? Another top left tackles were going for twenty this offseason? It was something I like that. So. Was it ten? do you remember?
1: So. I think it was yeah. r- roughly $10 million.
0: So, So you're getting a guy who was a pro bowler last year at left tackle. Maybe he misses one or two games. And, and we think that's probably what it's got to be, Mike, since they're not putting him on an injured reserve, which would be he misses three games, at least, if not more. So the fact that he's on the active roster is just tremendous news for when he can get back, and which will be sooner, it appears, rather than later.
1: Right. And one thing about training camp, he couldn't practice because he was on PUP. Right. You, 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 can't, you can do nothing with the team. But we saw him doing quite a bit of work, and that's just what we saw. You know, we, we, we had no clue how, how extensive it was away from us. And from talking to Frank during training camp, And Frank has always, he tries to temper things because he knows that if they tell us a time frame or they don't match it, we're going to come back and club them with it. And and he just kept saying, I I looked at Eric Eric Fisher, and I said, man, you look like you're ready to play. And the fact that, to me, the telltale sign is that they, they thought it was a major, major setback when he tested positive and he missed last week the limited work. Because I got the impression from talking to Frank they really thought with that week, last week, and this week, that, that now that he would be ready. Uh, whether or not he's ready on Sunday, I just, I, I I can't, I can't embrace that because he will have had three practices, three in, in, in eight months, in nine months. And I asked Frank about that and because he said, well, he hasn't practiced in 10 days. Well, he hasn't played in eight months. <laughs> and he said that, the issue is that once this injury is healed, there's no greater risk of re injuring it. So they're not worried about, boy, if we get him out there a week early, there's a chance of, of tearing this again. That's not the case. It's, is, you it want be ready to play football. And I tell you, I'm not ruling it out. Uh, I, maybe this is one where they, they blame a little bit. Just, I, I don't know. I'm not ruling it out. But, uh, you mentioned the optimistic of the team in the offseason. In my mind, the team's optim- optimism was like he'd only miss a month. I kind of thought they were looking to get him back to the 1st of October, try to, you know, tr- tread water until he got back. But the fact that he's out there limited now, he'll have two more days. Uh, keep in mind that they, they brought in Jared from his from his couch at the end of last year when he had retired and he played. And he played, you know, okay. So I'm not ruling it out. I I still think it's a long shot. But the way Frank answered it today the fact that they're not concerned with injuries. Cause I remember talking to Chris Ballard a couple of times and remember how he's talked about Kamoko Terray, how he just beat himself up because they brought him back too soon from injuries. Uh and I thought, well if that's the case they're really going to be careful with Eric Fisher. That's not the impression I'm getting. I'm not saying careful. I'm, I'm not. They're not rushing this guy back out before he's ready. They're just, to me, telling us that he's he's checked almost every box. He needs to check, other than a couple of full practices. So, uh, you know, might he play Sunday? Maybe. I think week two is more is more realistic. But the more you try to you try to listen to what they're saying and sort of read between the lines, I'm not ruling out Sunday at all.
0: Well, Fisher's not the only player we're keeping our eyes on uh, with an injury. And also on the uh, offensive line, Quentin Nelson did not practice on Wednesday, uh, listed with a back injury. Uh, Frank Reich said, just an occasional flare-up. We want to try to get ahead of it and get him back on track. Um, Nelson, uh, Frank Reich also said, has a chance uh, to play, still has a chance to play against the Seahawks. But I mean, that would uh, would, uh, be, Joe, a disaster if neither of your left side offensive line could play in that that first game against the Seahawks. So if Quinton's out, like you think maybe like Chap was saying, you can tread water a little bit with your left tackle. You can do a little bit of work uh, with uh, tight ends or backs to do a little bit more to help out one um, weaker link on the line. But if you throw two into there, um, especially if you're looking at Danny Pinter has been injured so off, uh, so much through this, this uh, off season or through this training camp, he's really kind of your main backup guy at guard that had been groomed for the last two years. Uh, it was it was certainly disconcerting uh, to to bring it all to a head to, to see Quentin's name on the injury report for not even practicing at all on this Wednesday.
2: Yeah, it's been a tough summer for Quentin Nelson between the foot, the back, the COVID. Um, it's It's been rough. And man, we really might have to tamper expectations for Carson Wentz if they're missing their left tackle and all pro left guard out there because that's, that's going to be tough. And that's going to hurt the running game as well, which is this offense's best weapon uh in week one with the passing game that I assume will come together as the season unfolds uh hopeful Quentin Nelson can you know get back on track hopefully you know I don't know exactly what the deal is with the back um back injuries are always kind of scary because there's something that can kind of linger or flare up as Frank Wright says at you know seemingly any time um, hopefully we'll get more clarity on the next couple of days and someone could give Quentin a nice massage there on the back and get him back out there.
0: Just make sure if you're a trainer and you're hanging around him for more than 15 minutes, maybe you change out on trainers just yeah. so uh, to 10 to minutes keep, a pop. Exactly. Keep those, uh, keep those close contacts to a minimum, please, please. And thank you. Don't want to miss anybody week one because you're on the, the COVID protocol list. Anyway,
1: one, see, one, one, yeah. one, one side, side note on Quentin that was pointed out, we're talking in the press room. Zach Kiefer pointed out that that he he missed a practice heading into the opener last week or last year with a back injury that flared up and he played played the opener and, and didn't miss a snap. He's only played in 51 straight games since they picked him. So it, it I, I really think this is precaution to do what you can. But, but like you said, back injuries, they're just quirky. And, they, they, and when you get them, they just paralyze you. They, they really do. But I fully expect Quentin to play on Sunday.
0: That is good news to hear. Uh, Xavier Rhodes also did not practice on Wednesday with a calf injury. Frank Reich said we've got to take that day by day. And if you're looking at a uh, chap at a position where um, maybe we were, the Colts did after uh, the cut to 53, went out and signed a couple guys to different guys that were not in camp that they said they liked. And when you go out and do that, it means you really don't like the guys that you had on, on your roster. You're 90 man. Uh, you had guys who were there, you let them go because you thought they weren't good enough. You go sign some other people, and now your guy who's in your number one cornerback on the outside uh, is is at risk a little bit this week. So that's certainly one we have to monitor this week, Chap, going up to kickoff.
1: Yeah, that that's probably the one area that I think throughout camp, I mean, tight end still bothers me, but the depth at corner, uh, you've got to have four, I, I'm, four minimum that can play at a, at a at a winnable level because you're going to be a nickel a whole lot. Zaire Franklin's going to be the third linebacker, and the nickel corner will play more than Zaire Franklin does probably. So in 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 this league, quarterbacks rule the day, and if you have a weakness in the secondary at corner, they're going to find it, and they're going to make you pay. And as we've talked about in the offseason, the Colts face – Tons of elite quarterbacks this year. And if you're if you're secondary, if, you, if your pass rush isn't getting home, and it's going to be safe to say that Russell Wilson is going to buy time to make you pay if you have breakdowns. Uh, if, if the pass rush doesn't get home, the secondary is going to pay for it.
0: We'll, we'll make a point on the secondary quickly. The Colts did sign Marvell Tell to their practice squad. Uh, so uh, he's uh, he's a possibility that could also be active uh, because of the NFL's rules that were started last year, now this year you can elevate a few practice squad players to that that game day roster. So uh, he's a player certainly to be possible if Xavier Rhodes can't go to see him elevated to the, to the main roster uh, with the experience that he has uh, on this defense. Um, more news for the week. The Colts, after the cut down to uh, 53 on the roster, uh, their vaccination rate is above 80%. There are no teams under 80% in the NFL uh, and 7 teams over 95%. It's uh, just about a 93 94% of league wide vaccination rate. um, Nearly identical numbers to the vaccination rate before roster cuts. Um, This is something uh, that uh, chap. Obviously Joe and I talked about this ad nauseum last week uh, when when you uh, when you were off uh, doing your work uh, with the Colts, in fact, but um, it it like. It's just a, a situation that I'm afraid is going to rear its ugly head more than once this season. And it's frustrating when people don't get it because, like, I try to explain. You try. You, Joe knows exactly yeah, what I'm talking we about. We tried to explain. I, I try. Like, I try to explain to someone very nicely on Twitter, which which is my first mistake right there. Exactly what it is, like why this affects the Colts more than other teams. Well, well other players who are vaccinated are still catching. Well, I, I, I get that. I get that. Do you get that there are different rules? You're there. You're not OK. Like, there's there's no talking to some people on Twitter, which, again, is my mistake, because I try. I'm on a mission to civilize, and progress is slow, but I'm in it for the long haul here. But this, this is just a situation that's going to happen more than once this year, I'm afraid, during the regular season, and it, if there's any one place that it's going to happen— it's more than likely going to be here in Indianapolis. So we'd better be on our P's and Q's.
1: Well, and, and, and as you guys, I'm sure, got into, it, it, it's all players aren't equal. And when you're, when you're uh, more than a handful of your top players are unvaccinated, it's just, you're just rolling the dice. You just are. And close contacts, unvaccinated close contacts, it's what, a minimum of five days. So if it happens on a Monday, okay, what happens on Wednesday or Thursday, you're out. You're simply out. So uh w- when you're quarterback and your linebacker and on and on, Quentin or, or Eric Fisher, I, 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 here we, I'm not going to get into who's vaccinated and who's not because we don't know for sure on all of them. But you're you're right. It's, it's not equal. It's not the same. And un- teams with more unvaccinated players are more at high risk. And when you're unvaccinated players – are some of your best players? You're, you're, it's going it, to happen. To think that they're going to any team is going to go all through. We've already had what Zach Martin. Uh, there's already been two or three players uh, going into week one that are going to miss the game before, b- because of COVID. To think it's not going to happen. I'm not going to go as far as say a forfeited game. I'm not going there. But just imagine a Colts game in week one, three, five, or seven, or whatever and your quarterback or your, your, your all-pro linebacker or your your all-world guard is out, all, all you have to do, and I realize that it's it's not the same because there was no vaccine last year, just go back and look at the doggone Tennessee game. I mean, what else do you need to see? When, when this was a good defense, and you take away Denico Autry and DeForest Buckner, and the Titans had 45 points and over 200 rushing yards. What else evidence do you need on the imp- the possible impact of losing players to COVID?
2: Well, a you know, point I want to make here, because I see a lot of people saying, well, even vaccinated players can test positive. So what's the difference? That makes it even more important to be vaccinated based on the rules, because if you're vaccinated and you're a close contact to someone who tests positive, You don't have to miss any time if you don't test positive yourself. But if you're unvaccinated and someone around you tests positive, whether they're vaccinated or not, you got to miss at least those five days. So this whole people vaccinated or not are testing positive, obviously that's not good for COVID itself. But based on the NFL rules, that makes it even more of a reason to get vaccinated so you don't have to miss those five days if you're a close contact.
0: Okay, I promise not to bring it up until it's an issue. Now I'm it, I, I
1: I give us three weeks. What do you? I say? know,
0: right? I <laughs> I, I, I agree. Uh, the Colts have named their team captains. Offense: Carson Wentz, Quentin Nelson, T.Y. Hilton are all captains. Defense: DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard are captains. Special teams: Zaire Franklin. You go to Syracuse University, you're going to be a leader, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Zaire Franklin, captain. Of the Indianapolis Colts,
2: what do you think, Mike? Are we going to vote Dave our team captain? Or <laughs> I mean, well,
1: he went to Syracuse, so I guess he's got a. I went, we I went to Ball State, so what? What can I say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will. I will wear the the armband proudly. Um, the Colts have converted nine million dollars of Ryan Kelly's salary into signing bonus. It creates them a little bit of cap space, according to Spotrac. Uh, their cap space is now at about eight point four million. And a chap, you always talk. It's good to have a little bit of a little bit of wiggle room in there in case you you need to bring someone in uh, or whatnot throughout the season. So now there is there is that breathing room that you don't feel like you are uh, thrust under the gun if something bad were to happen.
1: Right, and this is something that they had to do. I'm not so sure they didn't do divorce Buckner early as well. But this is something that they that they don't normally do because they like they like to pay as you go and they don't like to push money forward. But at the same time, this is when. This shows you that when you have mega extensions to do, that you have to deviate from what you normally do. They did somewhat with Leonard and Braden Smith, giving them signing bonuses where in the past they really haven't done that. And, you know, maybe next year with Quentin they need to do similar stuff. But this is where you just have to be flexible with how you you do business. And it's one of those those byproducts of when you hit on draft picks, you have to – if you really hit on draft picks, you have to pay them in at fourth or fifth year, and that's what the Colts are dealing with now.
0: The Colts did just release their practice report from Wednesday, their first day of practice for the week. Uh, Quentin Nelson and Xavier Rhodes, we already told you, did not participate. Um, limited participant Eric Fisher told you that one. The other limited participants are Paris Campbell, Danny Pinter, and Kamoko Terre. So good to see Danny back on the field. That's great. Uh, Campbell and Ture also limited out there and Carson Wentz listed as a full participant in Wednesday's practice. So that, that's the full rundown from this Wednesday.
1: One, Uh, one, one, one thing on that we talked to, uh, whenever I see his name on the injury report, I'm going to cringe Paris Campbell being limited with an Achilles. You hope again, that's just something where there was tightness and they're trying to be careful. We talked to Frank today about Paris Campbell and, and they have such high sky high, incredibly high hopes of what this kid can do if he stays healthy as, as a play caller Frank Reich just has to sit there and smile at what a Paris Campbell can do to your offense. And I just, I I'd love to see this kid play 15, 16 games in a season just to see what he can do. Cause we've seen flashes and those flashes are really impressive.
0: Absolutely, I, I agree, and uh, and we've talked throughout the off season about uh, the the wide receivers. And Joe, I know you're big on Pittman as, as the guy that can step up into more of a number one role. But I mean, that doesn't mean that that, that you're down on on Campbell either. We we think that if he's healthy, he can be a, a the dynamic piece that this team has been missing over the past few years on offense.
2: And I think they their skill sets complement each other very well, too. If you have Paris Campbell out there to threaten the defense deep, take the top off of the defense, that's only going to help a guy like Michael Pittman Jr., who doesn't quite have as much speed. Few people do have as much speed as Paris Campbell. So I think they their success is almost tied to each other because I think the threat of one another is only going to help each player get open. Um, I, I, I do think Pittman's kind of more of that alpha lead top receiver, but what Paris can Campbell can do out of the slot on end arounds rounds. I mean, like Mike said, we've seen glimpses of it and it, it it's nice. So yeah, hopefully true. this isn't a big deal. Um, and I mean, without TY, especially Paris Campbell was going to be their speed, deep threat. He's basically their only speed, deep threat guy out there now. So, Hopefully he's good to go and they don't even have to reach down into a kiki cootie to man the sure. slot.
0: I'll tell you this, too. When Michael Pittman Jr. has the ball in his hands, he's faster than I thought he would be. He, oh, yeah. he really is. Yeah. I, I mean, you look back to the pa- Packers game last year. And was it, he had won the Bills game, too, in the playoffs. That was just you get the ball there and then he just takes off. Some people, there's a difference between like their speed. Without the ball, and then their speed with the ball. Something just changes when you have the ball and you're just shuffling it back and forth. Pittman doesn't lose a step when he's got the ball in his hands, which is really fun to watch. Really Almost fun.
2: Looks to- faster with the ball in his hands. You, you could argue that.
1: Could argue. And I tell you, he runs angry. With, with it's his, his dad. size, look, and, and that's Daddy. That's Daddy's influence <laughs> being a, a running back. But again, I, I I really expect a major jump this year, which is kind of scary with Jonathan Taylor consider the way he finished, but if Michael Pittman stays healthy, he, he may assume that number one spot from T.Y. in, in year two, because he, he's shown us that he's got those capabilities, and the size and the speed really, really is enticing.
0: All right. Time to preview a football game, gentlemen, a regular season football game. The Colts starts the Seattle Seahawks week one at Lucas Oil Stadium. Again, that game will be broadcast locally on Fox 59 in central Indiana on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Colts haven't won their opener since 2013. It was a long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. Team now enters the season with its fifth different starting quarterback in five years. Trying to snap this skid. Both teams, Colts and Seahawks, were pretty close to each other in 2020. The difference is the Seahawks won one more game. Colts were 11-5, Seahawks 12-4. And and the Seahawks actually won their division. Um, There were a couple of really good teams in the NFC West last year. Really good teams. Seahawks uh, rose above it. And so you could say that I'm sure the Seahawks had a more difficult strength of schedule than the Colts did last year. So they're 12-4, and even though the Colts are 11-5 and and all these stats are about to tell you they're pretty even. I would say that that still just leans towards Seattle, certainly last year being the better team overall. Number one, you're a division champion. And number two, the teams that you were playing were uh, slightly more challenging than uh, facing the AFC South twice. Um, both teams were one and done in the playoffs though, ultimately. So at the end of the day, as Dwight Freeney used to say, another Syracuse legend at the end of the day, uh, you're out in the playoffs in one try. So, uh, both teams come in trying to just take a step forward this year and make a s- longer playoff run. The Colts and the Seahawks both scored 28.2 Colts and 28.7 points per game last year. That was good for ninth, the Colts, and 8th, the Seahawks in the NFL. Colts were 11th in rushing yards per game. Seahawks were 12th in rushing yards per game. Colts were 11th in pass yards per game. Seahawks were 16th in pass yards per game. Joe, you go down this list in this defense, too, and you put this together. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of analyze it first, saying that it's stunning how similar these two teams were on paper a year ago.
2: Yeah, and, and even on defense as well, you look— Both teams were top five in rushing yards allowed, uh, only a five-yard difference between the two. Both teams were more vulnerable through the air. Seahawks more so. They were 31st in passing yards allowed per game, where the Colts were 20th. Um, But they could both intercept the ball. Colts had 15 picks. Seattle had 14. The biggest statistical differences come in passing. Uh, Obviously, Russell Wilson, an elite quarterback, he threw 40 touchdown passes last year where the Colts Philip Rivers mustered up just 24, but then on the flip side, Russell Wilson took, and the Seahawks took 48 sacks, whereas the Colts allowed just 21 sacks, so um, a a big part of that is Russell Wilson's going to scramble around, try and buy time, and sometimes that works against him, whereas Philip Rivers isn't buying any time, he's looking to get that ball out as quick as possible, but these teams are pretty evenly matched when you go across the board there. Um, you know, it's going to be tough because what the Colts are going to want to do in this game is run the football, not make Carson Wentz go out and win the game. Well, that kind of plays into the strength of Seattle's defense where they have a stout run defense, but they're not as strong uh, rushing the passer, uh, at least not with the front four. They were actually seventh in the NFL in sacks, despite having zero double-digit players, but their leading sack leader was safety jamal adams with 9.5 which just goes to show you they had to manufacture pressure on the quarterback they said you know what we're not gonna we can't cover well anyway we might as well blitz and try and protect our defensive backs get to the quarterback before they can pick us apart Um, so this is going to be really interesting how it shakes out because obviously The Colts would love to just run the ball down their throats and not make Carson Wentz do too much in week one. Um, But that's going to be tougher said than done against a stout Seattle run defense where really the place to exploit Seattle's in the secondary because they didn't have a great secondary last year and then they lost their top cornerback, Shaquille Griffin. So it's going to be really tough for the Colts uh, to scheme up something uh, that Seattle's not ready for.
0: And that stat with uh, Jamal uh, Jamal Adams, uh, his nine and a half sacks, that was actually an NFL record last year for a safety, nine and a half sacks. That's obviously a number you don't see too often, uh, having someone in the secondary get, get up that high. But but you're absolutely right, Joe. They, they went to the old playbook to try to get some pressure uh, on the quarterback because they just didn't have anything consistent that way on the defensive line, which is maybe not surprising, but... Given they how good they were against the run last year, yes, they were good against the run. But I think also people passed against them a lot <laughs> on purpose because yeah. they were so uh, so not good, so bad really. We'll, well, we'll say bad. That's fair against the pass. Um, so you just had teams that were attacking them that way more than running. So I, I, they, I will, they're still top top five. Go ahead, go ahead.
2: I will add that they added Carlos Dunlap mid season last year, and he had five sacks in eight games, uh, including a playoff game. So, you know, Dunlap is 32 years old. I'm not sure if he can sustain that rate over, you know, over the course of the season, he's going to get what, 10, that's a 10 sack season. So we'll see what Carlos Dunlap can do. And he may be a factor if Eric Fisher can't play and it's Dunlap versus um, Davenport, that, that may very well be a factor, but yeah, everything aside, I mean, the front four you know, the defensive front pass rush for Seattle is is definitely not something to really be overly concerned about.
0: Chap, when you look at the Seattle team, and like we're saying, there seem to be some similarities just in terms of where they line up statistically with the Colts. If you look at what's different about them, what enables you to get one more win? What enables you to, well, under? The Seahawks, since Russell Wilson was drafted, they've averaged 11 wins a year. You point to what the difference was between that Seahawks team, and what the Colts team is, and you think that it's probably a dynamic quarterback in Russell Wilson. You agree?
1: That's how it always is. Uh, if, if you've got one of those seven or eight quarterbacks in the league, it's how it always was with Manning. It's how it always was with Luck when he was healthy. He gives you a chance every, not every game, every play. And... If I'm a defensive coordinator, I, I dial up the perfect defense, and you've got him where you want him, and he squirts free. And he, he's some quarterback, some mobile quarterbacks kind of escape the pocket and, and try to run. He escapes the pocket, and he's always looking for the big play. Now, he, he'll he tear you up with his legs. He, he, it's like he, he gets four or 500 yards a, a year running, but he's looking for the big play. And that's the problem when you when you've got, you know, Lockett and Metcalf, and more. You that's why I say you better have three or four quality corners, because they're going to make you play every play. And if I'm Russell Wilson, I only have to be right about four times a game on on, on the improv plays. Your corners have to be on point every for sixty plays. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you have those breakdowns on three or four plays. It's 21 points. And when we talk about the difference in the teams, the Colts are going to try to run the football. That's just, I mean, we're not breaking new ground here. But at the same time, there's going to be those 6, 8, 10 plays that Carson Wentz has got to make, third and seven, whatever. And I'm writing about it in a little bit later on today is the most important thing with Carson Wentz this year is it's the risk-reward. When is it worth taking a risk, and when is, is a punt okay? It took Peyton Manning like five years before he really understood that punting the ball was okay. I was looking at this, and in his first five years, he, he was barely one and a half to one on touchdowns interceptions. Over the last eight years, he was off the charts. It was incredible how he, he had one, one stretch where it was 10, 10, 10, and nine interceptions. It's incredible. You just have to understand when there, there's a time to make a play and some time not to make a play. And Carson Wentz told us today, I'm still trying to figure that out. And he made it sound like I will probably always try to figure that out. And you remember uh, with Andrew Luck, it was always those bonehead plays that I don't care how much Clyde Christensen talked to him and preached to him. There was always a bonehead play, and you just you came to expect it and accept it. Well, Carson Wentz needs to really, really limit his bad plays. There's going to be bad plays because you play quarterback, and seldom do plays unfold the way they're drawn up, and you go through walkthroughs or even uh, team drills during the week. But you you just cannot put your team in a bad way, especially when when your blueprint. for for winning is to to, to accentuate the run, lean on your defense, and make those handful of plays in the passing game. The running game is only going to work if if you're not down 17 points in in the third quarter. So it's a lot on wins to make plays, but almost more on wins to not make bad plays. And that
0: that teeter-tire – uh, between those two is something that that is stunning to me, how Russell Wilson always seemed to get it, even when he first came into the league. Like he fell down to the third round and Jim Irsay said the Colts were going to take him before he got swooped up, uh, scooped up right before him. So he would have had Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck in the same draft class. That would have been interesting, but he would have never seen the field. But he did get out to Seattle. He won the job out there. And all he did his first year is he made the Pro Bowl. He threw 26 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Chap, you're talking about the number of interceptions. I'm going to run down the list of Russells in his career. I just noticed that. Go ahead. 10, 9, 7, 8, 11, 11, 7, 5. And then last year was 13. Was his I've most ever.
1: a career-high 13. That's incredible.
0: It is nuts. Bonkers. And especially for a guy who was is, who is drafted where he was, who came into the league where people didn't know if he was going to be good or not. And he, it, it was he ever since, like I said, uh, Joe, when you're facing a guy like a Russell Wilson, the guy who's more of a mobile quarterback who likes to do things on the run and is that quote unquote playmaker guy, sometimes you fall into the stereotype that he's going to make more mistakes. That is certainly not going to be the case with Wilson, who the Colts faced this weekend.
2: Yeah, that's why my my second uh, uh, key to the game here is get pressure on Russell Wilson, because he's not going to make a lot of mistakes. So you got to make him either take the check down, throw the ball away, run out of bounds. If you give him time to scramble around and let DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett find something, it's going to be a tough day for the Colts. Because I'm not sure they have a corner on the team who can run with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They're going to have to play too deep, make make Russell Wilson be patient, which he's capable of doing. Um, but just not give up those big plays. I mean, Metcalf and Lockett both topped 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns last year. And I think DK Metcalf has another gear. He's entering year three now, and he could go for even more after putting up 1,300 yards last year. So the Colts with pay DeForest Buckner, um, the group of second round picks with Banigu, Taekwon Lewis, Kamoko Teray, if he suits up on Sunday, they're going to have to get consistent pressure on Russell Wilson and not just let him sit back there and do whatever he wants, because he's going to make his plays regardless. You can't give him uh, you can't make it even easier on a guy like Wilson.
1: There's another and great. One, st- go, go ahead, Chap, go ahead. One other thing on on Carson Wentz and maybe we've overdone it or or, or, or whatever we make it sound like he's an interception machine in his career because of last year was such a train wreck where he had 15 in 12 in in 12 games but the 3 years before that he had 7 each season so so it's not like he's been just littering the field with, with interceptions so but but again so much of what happened last year with Carson Wentz it just cures everything that happened before it but, but having said that he simply needs to find that balance, what whatever it is, 20, 25 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, I could live with that. Whatever number it needs to be, that two to one, two and a half to one, if you can. Uh, but I, I just wanted to clear the air that this guy's not exactly been Jameis Winston putting the ball up for grabs.
0: Got another great Russell Wilson stat here for you guys. Like you, you could dive into these things, like they're 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 crazy. And if you hear my dog barking in the background, I apologize. But anyway. He came into the league in 2012. The Seattle Seahawks have played, let's see here, 144 regular season games and 16 postseason games since 2012. How many of those games has Russell Wilson started? All of them. Every single stinking one of them.
1: Unbelievable. Every one of
0: them. And since 2012, who is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL?
1: Probably Russell Wilson.
0: Russell Wilson. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at a bar graph right here and it's crazy. Like the, the numbers go up and up and up. You see Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz near the bottom. And I mean, they got into the league a little bit later, nevertheless, but it goes up steadily, up steadily, up steadily. Then you have, let's see here, Aaron Rodgers at 308, Matthew Stafford, 321, Matt Ryan, 325. So all pretty close to each other. And then boom, up to Russell Wilson sacked 394 times since 2012. He's getting hit like 40 times a season, sacked 40 times a season on average. The last three years, he's sacked 51 times, 48 times, 47 times. And yet still somehow, all he does is go out and win games. 10 wins three years ago, 11 wins, 12 wins in the last two years. They've been to the playoffs more often than not. Like I said, he averages, averages 11 wins per year. So you look at these things that, that were Andrew Luck's downfall, getting hit, getting hit, getting hit over and over and over again. It has not happened to Russell Wilson. He gets hit, he gets up, he comes back in the game, and he starts the next one. It, his availability is as good as anyone in the league, period. And even if you can I, I rattle think, him, think, you can't take him out.
1: I think one of the things about him and the abu- and getting hit, comparing him to Andrew Luck, I think it's a little different because Wilson is really, really good at, at avoiding the big hit. Good. Whether he yes. whether he runs and slides or, I, I I can just think of all all those clean hits on Andrew Luck. Like I still got a screen or a, a video on my phone of the Green Bay game, whatever game that was of his career, game five or game six, where the linebacker comes in from the left side of the defense and just gives him a facial, and I thought we were done with the Andrew Luck era. I really did. Uh, he he just he he took hits Russell wilson has a great knack of avoiding hits and he's also when you talk about the mobility and how how cool that is it's got to drive his offensive line crazy because you want to know where your quarterback is <laughs> you, you want to know how because you you set things up to protect a certain way and he's gone and you know I, I think the league record for the most sacks by a quarterback, it might be David Carr with with uh, seventy six, I think. If it's not him, it's Randall Cunningham.
0: David Carr with seventy six, yeah.
1: And Randall Cunningham was right there because he was like seventy two, because he's always running around. And it, it's cool that you got the mobility, but it drives your offensive line crazy because you're breaking down protection.
0: David Carr was also the third most sacked in the season with sixty eight too. So. It's-
1: you talk about beating football out of somebody. That's what the Houston Texans did.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up about Wilson, Mike, because yeah, I I agree, and, and that there were there are different hits that Luck took that that Wilson took, but I I don't think that I, I don't want to take away from what Russell has done either, and I don't think you are either for, no. for just what he's been able to do for sure. So, I mean, Joe, I, I think like you brought up your your second key to the game, and that's what we're getting into next. Our keys, so we might as well start with that one. That the Colts must pressure Russell Wilson. And, and I agree with you. You're like, you're not wrong, but at the same time, it seems like half the teams every year pressure Russell, Russell Wilson and they still win those games. So like, it it certainly can't be the end all be all of what you do. You've got to keep him contained. And, but yes, getting hits on him is is better than not getting hits on him. I'm just saying that that can't be, that can't be all you're focusing on heading into this week one game.
2: Absolutely not. But it it is a good, it is a good strategy because you, you look at one of the teams that gave him fits last year in the Los Angeles Rams with one of the best interior pressures in the league with Aaron Donald. The Colts have a guy who's near that level with DeForest Buckner uh, in three games, including the playoff games. Uh, the Rams sacked him six, six in five times in those games. The Seahawks scored 20, 20 and 16 points. Um. So if they can get pressure specifically up the middle on Russell Wilson, uh, which is the quarterback's least favorite kind of pressure, um, in big DeForest Buckner, six seven, Russell Wilson, I believe, is five ten. Um. So if they can get up in his face in the middle, it's probably your best hope uh, for defending the Seahawks' offense. And, and you talk about, you know, you got to do something else too. And this is actually something the Colts were. One of the best in the league sat last year was you got to stop the run as well, and that's something we haven't really talked about yet. Is Seattle can also run the ball. Chris Carson is no he's no scrub. The Seattle Seahawks paid him this off season for a reason. He's one of the tougher running backs to get down on the ground, an excellent tackle breaker, and one of the most impressive guys to watch work out as well. I might add, but anyway, um, you got to be able to stop the run. Make Russell Wilson do what he's fully capable of doing, but get that pressure on him so that you just limit the big plays. Russell Wilson's going to get his, but if you get the pressure on him, specifically get him on the ground for a sack, um, you're going to limit what he's going to be able to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett each topped a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns last year in 2022. So there's multiple targets for Wilson uh, when he's looking for them in the backfield. Try to Try to keep him on his back more often than than he's uh, on his feet, and it's certainly a, a good strategy. But like we said, if not if not the only strategy to come in on the other side of the ball, uh, Joe's first key to the game here: Colts must be able to take advantage of Seattle's weaker pass coverage. And like you said, ranked thirty first in the NFL last year, they have a great run defense. So um, to be able to to slice and dice when necessary. And Chap, I think we've all we've kind of made this point already, but we'll circle back to it that we really think the Colts still want to run the ball even if you're going up against a strong rush defense, that's going to be their first mode of attack, especially with trying to bring Carson Wentz along with have how few full practices he's had going into this game. Still, there's going to be some opportunities for him to make a decision whether to chuck it or not. You're, you're going to try to bring the defense up, hit them with play action, see if Paris Campbell can beat them deep. So there, there are going to be some opportunities here, even if the Colts focus on run, to take advantage of that weak pass defense from time to time.
1: Yeah, I think we, we need to be sure we're not saying run the ball to shorten the game and you know the old four corner offense. You run the ball to be effective, but you got to score points. You're not you're not going to score 17 points a game and win much of anything. So it is it, run with a purpose, but when the plays are there, you've got to make them. And it's like we're not breaking again new ground here. It is as well, as well as Blankenship has played as a rookie and in his preseason training camp the less we see of him and the more we see of of touchdowns in the red zone this team's had has had trouble in the past, finishing drives, and hopefully to be able to run the ball, it gets tougher down down tight, but it's even harder to throw the ball in the red zone so a good running game is imperative, but only if you're doing it you know with an end inside of of not a 17-point game, but 27, 30 points. And you can certainly use that balance, the run-pass balance, to get that done. And they're, they're going to be closer to 50-50 this year running and passing than they've been in a long time. I, I believe that. Barring games getting out of hand, they're going to run the ball. They're, they're just going to – they, they, they want to run the ball. That's the strength of their team. But you got to score points while you're doing it.
2: So, Joe, you go ahead. I'll just say something I'll add to that is the Colts are going to need some big plays to win this game. I don't think immediately out of the gate, Carson Wentz is going to be efficient enough to just beat you by a thousand paper cuts. And probably the, some of the Colts best chances of making big plays are with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. I mean, they're two of their home run hitters. So uh, that's probably, you know, going to be a reason why the Colts are going to stick with the run Besides it being their identity, but three yards, four yards, three yards, five yards, because that 60, 70 yarder could come at any time. Uh, And I think Naheem Hines out of the backfield may very well be a key to this game as well. Uh, We saw him absolutely tear up the Lions last year. Uh, He has his spots where he goes off and some easy passes out of the backfield to give Carson wins where he can just give it to a guy like Hines and Hines can do uh, something impressive with it. Uh, that's something I'd be drying up if I was uh, putting together this game plan.
0: Yeah, the Seahawks still do, we'll, we'll throw this in there, as I mentioned, have one of the best linebackers in the NFL in Bobby Wagner. Um, he's been a pro bowler three, four, five, six, seven, I believe, years in a row, maybe all pro, yeah, first team all pro, uh, five years in a row. Um, had 138 tackles last year, so uh, always, always got to mention uh, the the elite players on the other side, we just haven't really gotten too much into Bobby Wagner. But if you're looking more at the passing defense again, Joe, you point out that the Seahawks lost their top corner last year in Shaquille Griffin. Um, so they're trying to work around some some new corners as well, uh, getting used to uh, each other and in this defense to try to improve on that uh, porous uh, defense from a year ago.
2: And, you know, Jamal Adams is a, a- fantastic player and they paid him like this offseason but pass coverage is not one of his strong suits um he's basically like a linebacker that plays safety out there so if they can get him matched up on a on a i don't want to throw kylan granson out there too quickly but if they can get match him matched up on a tight end who can make some moves on him uh, that might be another spot to exploit
0: Limit mental mistakes. Always going to be important. The uh, third key from Joe coming into this weekend against the Seahawks. I would add, especially late, because you don't, you do not want Russell Wilson with the ball in his hand with a chance to win the game. Because, uh, chap, we've seen how that ends up more often than not.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's why I say, it, it, how do you handle things late, and c- can you finish drives? And, and you guys have talked about we open with that they're zero and seven in openers. And a lot, of them, a lot of them have been very close games. Uh, I, I keep going back to, like, what was it the Cincinnati game where they're going in to score to, to take the lead and Jack fumbles the ball and turn for a touchdown? So it's going to come down to, to not doing things to beat yourself. You can't do that against bad teams. Jacksonville last year, to think you can get away with, with a blown coverage, with a bad turnover, with a couple of false starts, with a holding penalty. With, with and, you know, interference down the field against a, an elite quarterback, can't do it.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's look toward what Vegas has to say about this Colts-Seahawks game. Uh, FanDuel has the Colts, a uh, underdog, two-and-a-half-point underdog, the over-under at 50 for here. So they have this uh, to be just about a, a 26-24 ball game right around there. Uh, so that's what they think. Um, what I find interesting is the Colts opened as three point favorites all the way back in May when uh betting was first opened on the uh the coming NFL season. So Colts were three point favorites, but now the Seahawks are close to three point favorites, and I think the line did hit three at some point. Um at at some point. So uh so so Joe, uh the Colts go in uh favored to lose an eighth season opener in a row, but uh, certainly within a field goal, it's uh it's Gonna be? You think it's gonna be a close one?
2: I do. I think it's gonna be a close one. If I, if I'm gonna go ahead and make my prediction here, I hate it. It's week one. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. I think these two teams are extremely close talent-wise, but I think Carson wins week one with limited practice versus elite quarterback Russell Wilson. is gonna be the difference in this game. I'm going to go 27 to 23 Seahawks where the Colts scored two touchdowns and three field goals and the Seahawks score three touchdowns and two field goals. And that's the difference in the game is who can convert those good drives into touchdowns rather than field goal attempts.
0: Mm -hmm. I go in uh, thinking that the uh, unsettled left tackle is still a little concerning to me. Um, And if Eric Fisher plays, then, then that's, Stinking awesome. And and it's ridiculous if he's able to get back for week one. Heck, it's ridiculous if he's able to get back for week two. But um, you you look at that. uh, I I just I just have two numbers that are just burned into my head. And those are the numbers when the were without Anthony Costanzo and when they were without T.Y. Hilton over the past decade. And with Ty, it was one and nine, one and ten. Without AC, uh, they were like two and fourteen or something like. I, I don't know that exact number. That one's not quite burned in a, as much. But like when you don't have your starting left tackle, when you don't have your starting number one wide receiver, uh, you're, you're going to struggle. And Ty Hilton is not the guy he was six years ago for sure with a fully healthy Andrew Luck. But nevertheless, they were expecting some big things from Ty this year, and I was expecting some big things from Ty this year. Um, I thought that bringing in Carson Wentz brought a quarterback in that matched his skill set perfectly, um, and he was looking good in camp in the, in the few opportunities that that he had to to catch the ball from Carson. So, um, I, I I can't pick the Colts to win this one. I think that the Seahawks uh, get a victory in a. I think it's going to be slightly lower than fifty. I don't. I think the defenses are having a good game today. I think I'm going to go for uh, twenty-four to twenty Seahawks. Um, in ultimately a game that the Colts can't quite come back from digging an early hole for themselves. Chap, what do you think?
1: Okay, I'll be the homer. Uh, yeah, there you go. Let's go. But, but, but this, is, this is a selfish uh, prediction. I'm taking Colts 27-24. Only, everything that you said, I can't argue with. All I'm arguing is, with the way the schedule opens, they can play themselves out of this really quickly and i would hate to see that for a lot of reasons because it's very difficult to cover a team when they're one and four one and five especially when you've got high expectations so i'm 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 going against my uh my brain and saying 27 24 because i don't want to see this get scheduled get to them early and have the season get away from them so i'm I'm hoping for 27-24 for so many selfish reasons.
0: Oh, Chap, don't you know that the Colts were 1-5 in Frank Reich's first year, and they came back to make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, make, make a steady diet of that and uh, get back with me and see how it goes. I will
2: just add, I don't, I, I don't think something like that is completely unrealistic. I think this is a team that's going to continue to get better as the season goes along. And if there was a rematch of this game, maybe Week 10 or something like that, I think we'd be singing a different tune at that point once the offense kind of comes together.
1: But, but, the, but, the, but the problem with that is the AFC is flat loaded. And if you get out of the gate one and four it, it, in this deep AFC, I'm not sure how you get yourself out of it and get back to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: They're going to have to steal some games that they, maybe they're underdogs in like this one. If they, uh, they want to be in contention, probably near the end of the year. Certainly the most the two most important games in the first half of the season are Tennessee. I, I would think and we can get into that at a later date, but um, certainly important to win your opener too and give yourself a little bit of momentum heading into the season. Would certainly give us a lot better things to talk about next week on the Colts blue zone podcast. Cause that's going to wrap us up for this first week. One of the regular season of 2020, you can follow us on Twitter at Colts blue zone to keep up with Colts news and notes throughout the week. You can follow Mike Chapel at at M 51. You can follow Joe Hopkins at at Roto I'm Dave Griffiths, and you can follow me at @daveg_sports. DaveG underscore sports. We appreciate you listening. Hope you have a great first week of the NFL season, and we will see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.